All right, let me know when you are live. All right, good afternoon. There is no commercial support for today's activity. The speakers and planners have disclosed no relevant financial relationships with any commercial interest. You will receive a SurveyMonkey link after today's activity. And if you are viewing online, the evaluation link will be listed in the links icon at the bottom of the screen. If you have a question, please enter it in the Q&A chat and we will ask it at the end of the presentation. So today it is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Kim and Dr. Lim. Uh, Dr. Nathan Kim is no stranger to us. He is a third year internal medicine resident at Northeast Georgia Medical Center who will be starting a cardiovascular fellowship in July of 2023 at the University of Arizona in Tucson. So we are very proud of you. His research interests include artificial intelligence and nanotechnology applications in medicine and cardiology. Dr. Lim is a postdoc research community engagement specialist at the Manufacturing Optimization Design and Engineering Education Lab Group. She recently received her PhD in Learning, Leadership, and Organizational Development at the University of Georgia. Her research interest spans developing educative practices for professionals utilizing socio-material structures and reflective practices. Her dissertation was a pedagogy experiment that phenomenologically explored how different ways of knowing facilitated young adult learners inquiry into the experience of human artificial intelligence interaction. She is also affiliated with the Generative Learning and Complexity Lab at the College of Education at the University of Georgia as a research fellow. She holds a master's in education in vocational education and workforce development and a BA in English education from Seoul National University in South Korea. So join me in welcoming today, uh, Dr. Kim and Dr. Lim. We are looking forward to your talk. Thank you, Dr. Walker, for the introduction. And we're thrilled in order to be a joint presentation at uh, NGMC uh, describing ChatGPT uh, implications in medicine and education. We have no disclosures, and we'd also like to note that ChatGPT was not used in any form uh, in the makings of this presentation. These are a few learning objectives that we hope uh, you feel more comfortable with by the end of this presentation. Uh, ChatGPT is constantly evolving and quite frankly, this is hopefully just the beginnings of future discussions. I'd like to start by taking you back into 700 BC uh, to the Greek island of Crete. In Greek mythology, uh, Hephaestus, a god of blacksmith, metalworking and sculpting, who made the weapons of the Olympian gods was tasked by Zeus in order to create a protector for a, prin a princess on this island. And thus the beginnings of artificial intelligence may have actually originated in written history, beginning with Talos, a giant forged from bronze, who would defend the island of Crete by walking around its perimeters three times a day, protecting it from different pirates and invaders. Often we speak of intelligence casually, but the Origin of intelligence comes from Latin intelligentia, meaning to understand or to comprehend. Throughout history, intelligence has a prized attribute, has evolved in its definition and characterization. And as such, the definition of intelligence is also not immune to misinformation, 
1994, a dangerous and controversial book named The Bell Curve promoted a warped, non-scientific view of how intelligence pertains to society. And in response, 52 researchers uh, wrote a Wall Street Journal opinion editorial commenting on uh, their view of what intelligence stands for. That it's not just an ability in order to reason and plan and comprehend complex ideas, and it is not, in contrast, merely about book learning or narrow academic skill, test-taking smarts. It's about being able to comprehend your surroundings and then figure out what to do. Following the 1994 op-ed and fierce debates that ensued, the American Psychology Association actually decided to uh, provide a more authoritative, dispassionate analysis on the science of intelligence in their publication, Intelligence Known and Unknowns. They tried to, of one of the more insightful commentary, try to clarify that this is about organizing complex set of phenomena. And more interestingly, when trying to discuss and ask two dozen prominent theorists about how to define intelligence, not even they could come up with a singular answer that they were all in agreement with. As humans have continued to grapple how to approach intelligence, we're now forced to deal with the concept of this new artificial intelligence. First coined in 1956 at a Dartmouth College summer conference, it was defined by one of the leading experts as the computational part of the ability to achieve goals in the world. This topic has garnered waves and winters of funding and defunding due to promises hoped and failures encountered. But as progress has steadily advanced, we are currently underway as Thomas Friedman in the New York Times on March wrote, a new Promethean moment, a landmark that requires thoughtful deliberation as we move into a new era for humanity. And so now we are entering, quote unquote, our new Promethean moment with this advancement of um, artificial intelligence and robotics and some of the algorithm and computational tech, all in all the, tech, the development of computational uh, technologies. Yet um, some of you might resonate with this fact that um, it's not a new Promethean moment at all. Like if you kind of zoom out and put it in a historical context, there has been actually discuss uh, a lot of the uh, discourses emerging out of how technology kind of contributes to the new shape of the society and uh, obviously how we work within the uh, workplaces. Um, if you kind of look into the, uh, the discursive uh, development of people using the phrase future of work from 1950s, uh, it's actually coinciding with a major breakthroughs of the computational technological development, such as in 1980s, there has been a discussion around um, office automation sparked by the new invention and introduction of the word processing technology that replaced some of the uh, stenographic work of a secretary's back at time and um, word processor doing all the transcription and typing um, in replacement of their uh, labor. In um, 2000s, uh, I bet some of you are more accustomed to this uh, phrases like new economy, globalization, and uh, networked office automation has been uh, on the table because of the development of the personal computers and microelectronics. And now we're entering this era of digital transformation, uh, fourth industry revolution, or um, industry 4.0 with the start of the uh, advancements, advances in artificial intelligence. 
yet it starts a new era, but still it kind of echoes the same questions over and over. How are we responding to this um, technological development as a society? And so this brings us to ChatGPT, which stands for Chat Generative Pre-trained Transformer. Of note, actually just yesterday, uh, OpenAI released an app on the iPhone specifically only in the US, allowing users in order to gain access. Previously, there was not. And there is some expectation that Android phones will likely start over the next few weeks and also it'll open up to the world. This timeline uh, is a brief visual history of ChatGPT and everything that happened over the last five months since its release, the version three. Uh, most notably, companies such as Microsoft and individuals like Bill Gates have been a very important uh, structure uh, of its development. This product was so popular that as compared to other apps such as TikTok and Instagram, it only required two days in order to reach 100 million users. ChatGPT developed by OpenAI that was started in 2015 has continued to refine its algorithms and currently is on GPT-4. Uh, other companies such as Google and Microsoft have now released their own versions of these large language models. And companies like Epic have already been in discussions as of March with OpenAI in order to figure out ways to integrate large language modeling into their own workflow. And I suspect that over the next few years, there's gonna be some early advertisements of different capabilities and features. This slide is a pictorial representation of how ChatGPT was trained and developed. And in the first section on the left, the algorithm undergoes supervised learning with human input. There's a strict data set that's employed and the humans are uh, teaching and training the algorithm what is an appropriate output and inappropriate output. After which you move into the second section where it starts using different trained uh, data sets and the algorithm now continues to refine itself with human intervention. And finally, on the right side, the algorithm is allowed in order to create its own rules based on the first few training iterations. Uh, and ChatGPT was actually trained on 570 uh, gigabytes of books, articles, and websites, information prior to November 2021. As such, ChatGPT has created a firestorm uh, marveling humans' uh, intellectual and technologic achievement and also stoking fears about certain downfalls. In March 2023, there was a public letter signed by multiple individuals such as Tesla's Elon Musk, Apple's Steve Wozniak, and engineers from multiple engineering companies uh, trying to ask for a six-month pause on AI development. However, this also brings us to the question of what is ChatGPT on the level of the AI scale? And I'd like to present a simplistic but important three uh, general definition. The first is artificial narrow or weak intelligence, which is things like Alexa, Siri, Cortana, and also ChatGPT. This is good for only a specific one area or narrow purpose. It cannot do beyond what it can do. The second and the third are more theoretical, but I suspect that we'll be encountering this in the near future including general or broad AI, where artificial intelligence is theorized in order to be able to reason, think abstractly, almost to the level of a human or equivalent. And finally, uh, the super AI, which is what most people are concerned about, is when humans are able, uh, no longer able to keep up with the pace of technology and 
these artificial intelligence is going to exceed beyond any reasonable doubt the ability of what humans are able to accomplish. Um, some of the concepts that um, Dr. Kim just introduced us might sound a little too science, uh, science fiction-y, but still uh, there are several studies that uh, has been done in futurology and uh, science technology studies that critically assesses computational power and um, how it kind of um, troubles our notion of agency, uh, power relationship, uh, even interdependency and responsibility in general. And I'd like to just show you some, uh, some of these uh, major scenarios that this futurology kind of imagine how the, what kind of role the AGI, uh, artificial general intelligence would play in those uh, future, future work. Uh, there are three main buckets, like it's very uh, reductive. Let me, uh, let me just put it uh, out front. Still, uh, they're kind of imagined that uh, AGI being a little uh, safe and harmful as a benevolent dictator or some of the uh, surveillance system that might contribute to the uh, perturbation per, uh, per, per uh, of the um, a status quo system and humans kind of lost the containment and confinement and eventually the control of AGI, which makes them uh, at, the, uh, at the marginalized side of the uh, society. There's uh, another scenario where uh, that discusses AGI playing a human uh, friendly role where um, AGI can assist and kind of argument the ways and uh, which people live and think and uh, work with others. And that can actually uh, benefit the humanity as a whole. So this, however, is always uh, enacted with the, um, with the humans, uh, human society's uh, increased awareness of AI's impact on social and political and cultural level uh, of in general. And the other, uh, the last but uh, not least, the, um, the scenario where the AGI plays in is the singularity AI, where a, as um, Dr. Kim introduced, uh, the artificial superintelligence surpasses the human's uh, perception and understanding of their role within the society. And the exponential growth rate kind of surpasses this whole uh, understanding movement of the AI. In the engineering world, uh, Dr. Sheila Jasanoff, uh, Indian American uh, who is an academic social scientist in, in science and technology studies at Harvard University, provided a, in 2021, a thoughtful reflection on three temptations of technocracy. The first being is that technology leads society. As we know, the idea or intent is that technology is supposed to support us and make our lives easier. However, that it's ethics and law that hold down technology uh, advancements. The second is the Mount Everest syndrome, that if there is something to be achieved, that we should do it just because it's there. We can overcome challenges. And finally, three, value-free engineering, that it is not technology that is at fault, but rather it's humans that use technology that create ethics. And instead of blaming technology, it's the humans that need to be held responsible. Silicon Valley is known for its saying about how we should move fast and break things. But as a human and, and as humans and te uh, technology continue to intertwine intimately, this should lead to a greater importance of oversight and analysis, less technology risk breaking people. And especially as medicine balances art and science, these next few months and years are critical in how we respond towards adopting artificial intelligence into our own practice. So, um... 
We just discussed how uh, artificial intelligence technology has shown a very exponential growth and it's a uh, rapid um, development uh, trajectory. And this is actually just a one scheme of the um, scheme look of the um, the literature that discusses uh, ChatGPT in medicine. And uh, from our, from our I guess the onset of the um, discussion. Uh, designing this whole presentation, we found 76 articles, but as of yesterday, we found like 196 articles, which shows a huge growth in the discussion around the ChatGPT in medicine. And we used the bibliometrics analysis to see whether, uh, how these uh, keywords are related to each other within one context. And, op uh, and obviously human and artificial intelligence um, are the one, two keywords that kind of co occur in the, within the same uh, context, which shows that people are very interested in um, understanding the relationship between human and artificial intelligence in studying the ChatGPT in medicine. Yet, uh, it also spans around this issue of the tech, uh, education as well as the uh, surgery procedures and some of the um, scientific uh, authorship or um, academic integrity might be the another theme that emerges out of this um, discussion around ChatGPT in medicine. And so as Dr. Limid mentioned, uh, we had performed a literature review at the end of March uh, 28th, and we've roughly found around 70 articles ranging from opinion editorials to case reports, as well as a, a, some basic science research uh, as we all grappled how to apply this technology. And this mind chart is kind of a summarization or some basic thoughts towards different areas of medicine and how it might implicate uh, different and impact different areas. I'd like to, the following slides now are kind of highlights of certain articles that I hope you can enjoy. Alan Turing, a British mathematician uh, and computer scientist was uh, most notable for the accumulation of a philosophical inquiry of can machines think? And his test involves the determination if a human evaluator C is able to, when blinded to subjects A and B, determine which of the two is a computer in which is a human. And if the machine in A is able to pass off as a human in B, then this machine is able to pass its test. Gao et al. Uh, took 50 articles from the New England Journal of Medicine, Journal of American Medical Association, British Medical Journal, uh, Lancet and Nature Medicine, and took abstracts and had ChatGPT develop uh, its own abstracts based on each of the title of the article, as well as the formatting style of the paper itself. They took three different approaches in order to analyze this. And on the top left, they used an AI output detector in order to determine how much of the abstract was considered fake or genuine. Uh, these output detectors determine roughly that about out of the 50, 33% of them scored greater than 50% in terms of fake, and only 17 actually were less than 50%. On the top right, an online plagiarism detection tool was employed, and it found that almost all of the ChatGPT abstracts were considered as original as compared to the humans. However, I will note that on the left side, the original abstracts may have been tested against what was found in the literature, including itself, which may explain why the online detection tool thought it was actually plagiarized. However, finally, at the bottom, they actually used uh, human reviewers in order to try and guess which of the articles uh, were human generated and which one were uh, computer generated. 
Interestingly, of the original articles, uh, humans were able to identify that 43 or 86% of them were genuine. But of the ChatGPT generated articles, actually they thought only 34 of them were ChatGPT related. And they inappropriately thought that 16 of those 50 were created by humans. This suggests that quite frankly, AI generated abstracts will one day be indistinguishable from what humans are able to uh, create. And that there are already initial considerations of rejecting AI assisted publications. As AI continues to become more sophisticated, it's gonna be important for us in order to determine the guidance and role of AI in scientific writing, as well as providing attribution or clear terms of usage in future publications. Furthermore, from a medical education standpoint, AI could be employed for essays or language-based projects. During an application process, medical students may consider using this as an applicant to assist with aspects of their application, such as writing their personal statements or parts of their CV. And during residency, when developing presentations or research, this is going to be the similar issue. Generating clinically, AI is likely going to be employed to generate notes or communicate with patients, such as writing prescriptions or maybe even pre-authorizations uh, for insurance companies. And so while these large language models provide a novel efficient method, it's up to us in order to figure out how to communicate best during, uh, with written language to each other and figuring out how to embrace AI generated text. Now on that note, what about ChatGPT as an author? Initially, some early studies actually had ChatGPT listed as an author, but even this group, uh, Salvano, actually asked directly ChatGPT and itself said that it was not sufficient in order to qualify as an author. With the confusion of ChatGPT and academic publishing, there is an opportunity in order to review the International Committee of Medical Journal Editors four criteria for authorship. Of note, ChatGPT is unable in order to uh, be sufficient for the very last one, where it's agreeable to accountable for all aspects of the work. Therefore, I would caution anyone trying to consider using this as a author as a paper because it won't qualify. Furthermore, uh, I, from a legal perspective, I'd like to provide a key part of the existing licensing agreement per OpenAI through their website, including that uh, users will defend, indemnify, and hold harmless against OpenAI, the affiliates, personnel, from and against any claims, losses, or expenses rising from the related terms of its use. What this means, quite frankly, in more plain language, is these AI companies are not going to open themselves up for legal liability. And really, it's going to be up to us in order to make sure we monitor and be conscientious of how this is going to impact us. As more AI technologies and companies become prominent, I suspect that this is going to be a common theme in language and phrasing that we need to be mindful of. So now let's talk a little bit deeper about clinical applications of ChatGPT. How can this outside of research impact patient care? As we all know, communication with patients is very important. And most of the medical literature provided to patients are actually set at almost a sixth grade level for an 11 or 12 year old to be able to understand. Ali and his group was interested in taking clinical uh, skincare practice questions uh, and then trying to make literature that might be uh, understandable by uh, different patients. 
These in this graph are different readability metrics that are used in education. And what it was able to demonstrate is ChatGPT was roughly able to create language that is appropriate for anyone with a 12 to a, uh, 10 to 12th grade level in order to comprehend. Having a tool that assists in communications is no small feat and being able to help patients understand either during, before or after a clinic visit or a hospital visit is critical in terms of medical management. This suggests that ChatGPT could also be used for learners, such as medical students and residents during their education process. If they're struggling with some topic, it's possible that this might be able to individualize uh, and provide references or analogies that might be understandable. We all come from different cultural backgrounds and sometimes some American aphorisms may be difficult for some people. And so being able to have something that's able to provide uh, insightful thoughts in your own home language or something you're more familiar with is a very powerful tool. What about ChatGPT and diagnostic ability? Kuros uh, Hirasawa in Japan created 30 clinical vignettes with top 10 chief complaints that they may have seen in Japan. And they compared what ChatGPT3 was able to do as compared to humans. While ChatGPT was only able to identify about roughly 53.3% of the top diagnosis uh, as compared to the physician's 93.3, it was interesting in order to see that ChatGPT was able to at least create a right answer roughly within the top five or the top 10 diagnose, differential diagnoses. While ChatGPT in its current form is limited and cannot compare to physicians, the authors did suggest that physicians need to check the answers generated by ChatGPT that patients may look up uh, in order to update on more recent knowledge with external validation. Physicians undergo a lengthy process in order to accumulate knowledge and experience. And as these algorithms continue to be refined, my suspicion is that this diagnostic ability gap will be closed within our lifetime even possibly in the next few years. This should challenge physicians to continue our efforts in order to become better every day, but we should also start to become humble to recognize that at some point down the road, we only know what we know. While humans have a limited lifespan and our information cannot be extracted from our brains and downloaded into a, the next trainees, that's the advantage of what this artificial intelligence and large language models provide. And if used properly, this could be used uh, in the clinical setting in the future with appropriate physician oversight. Being able to discuss topics at comprehensible levels as previously discussed and choosing a correct diagnosis is important, but what about the reasoning or the explanation of how and why an answer was chosen? Johnson and his group at Vanderbilt University over 17 specialties with about 33 physicians developed question data sets based on current medical guidelines with no change prior to 2021. These data sets included general medicine, melanoma slash immunotherapy specific, as well as overall 10 common medical questions or conditions. These were uh, evaluated uh, on a Likert scale in terms of its response by the clinicians with a ChatGPT output and they were analyzed between the level of accuracy and completeness, ranging from one through six and one through three respectively. 
This graph is trying to demonstrate that ChatGPT, although uh, insufficient and continues to have uh, some answers ranging from roughly equal correct and incorrect, is still able to demonstrate some ability where it's more correct than incorrect. And again, as previously mentioned, my suspicion is that as these algorithms continue to be refined, this will improve over time. The, the authors felt that this study, uh, again, demonstrated that ChatGPT is well short of reliable and that we need um, expert input, but they were interestingly uh, noting that the ChatGPT seemed to be very authoritative when demonstrating its output. The questions again from this study was also based on more guidelines from professional experts rather than queries from patients. And it would be interesting in order to see what, how the output for questions that the general public may have. ChatGPT also reveals implications on medical education, our testing, and what the purpose of our medical education is about. Our field is primarily focused on the acquisition of medical knowledge and tested periodically throughout examinations through multiple choice questions. Of the articles uh, that I was able to review, this is one of the most cited uh, by Kung et al, with ChatGPT uh, tested against questions selected from USMLE 1, 2CK, and 3. Uh, for the open-ended question, the, the different type of questions were open-ended and multiple choice single answer. And within the multiple choice single answer, ChatGPT was asked for no justification, which is on the left, and with justification on the right. The authors demonstrated that ChatGPT was able to actually get within an acceptable level of pass range, particularly with a step 2CK as well as 3. While the indeterminate range is still large, you can see that the accuracy of ChatGPT was able to achieve at least a 60% benchmark. Other companies such as Google have already been trying to create an algorithm. Uh, they're using something called MedPalm in order to determine certain uh, adequacies with performance test taking, but this is specifically for ChatGPT. And I will note that ChatGPT4, there are some early articles demonstrating that this is actually quite higher than its original predecessor, no more than a few months ago. Uh, because I have some interest in cardiology, uh, there is this group uh, by Fahako that was interested in trying to see whether this is able to pass basic life BLS and ACLS examinations. Uh, these were chosen uh, exams A and B from 2016. One thing that I'll note is that ChatGPT was not specifically trained on medical information. And so actually a lot of this is just able to do uh, whatever it is able to do based on general information that it was downloaded again. Uh, prior to 2021. While the ChatGPT was unable to pass in sufficient manner, getting anywhere from 64 to 76.3% correct on specific answers that it was able to uh, relate to, uh, ChatGPT of note is unable to analyze images and text and sounds, so, uh, images and, and pictures and sounds. So it has to be text only. Uh, but again, this is a very intriguing article demonstrating uh, ChatGPT's a certain baseline. And finally, I think this was really amazing. Uh, this group, uh, Hopkins and his group, determined uh, applied ChatGPT in neurosurgery, the neuro, uh, neurolo uh, neurological surgery question bank. 
and analyze its performance against the average users, which are likely attendings in SANS, the black box, residents, uh, the checkered box, and medical students, uh, the lines on the right. Of all of the sections, uh, the physicians, the attending level were outperforming everyone, except actually for questions based on pain and nerve. ChatGPT also uh, performed superiorly compared to residents and all across all uh, lanes, medical students. But ChatGPT was able to demonstrate uh, superiority to residents in the functional and pediatric questions. Uh, it was almost on par with residents for trauma, uh, tumor questions, and overall. So. Um... Thus far, uh, Dr. Kim gave us a very good comprehensive overview of the um, capacity that ChatGPT holds. And I believe this might be a good uh, reflexive moment for uh, all of us. Uh, I believe some of you are actually medical educators as well to really think about what this mean, uh, what does it mean and what kind of um, implications it brings in the medical education in general or in medical system in general. Um, some of the talk that has been um, read, uh, echoed within the, not only within the uh, medical education, but also in engineering education or some of the uh, science-based professionals um, education era area is like how ChatGPT and the artificial intelligence restructures this uh, feedback loop uh, in um, decision-making processes and how can we make humans at, uh, at the center of those feedback loop. Um, there has been some of the discussions around the human centricity and uh, all of that uh, in response to the, uh, the I guess, uh, overwhelmingly um, great power and intellectual that ChatGPT holds. And this might be a little bit of a crisis moment for those professionals who actually build up on this idea of like synthesized knowledge makes them as a professionals and to claim their professional uh, within this um, era. Uh, one of the uh, uh, the one of the uh, prescient insight that I want to go uh, turn into uh, turn your perspective to is uh, Donald Sean. He has actually uh, reflected on how we can actually uh, educate professionals in response to this complexity arising from the uh, inter uh, introduction of word processing technology and all that. And he actually uh, anticipated this. Uh, this um, technical rationality model that has sustained this uh, professional education from the get-go must be changing as um, it's really reductive to see the, those professionals into the technical problem solver and um, situating professional learning in that in that way only uh, makes the idea only per perpetuates this idea of professionals who have the capacity to regurgitate the scientific knowledge is the best one, but as you are the uh, professionals here, you do uh, agree that it's not, the, uh, it's not the way it should be. And it actually resonates with some of the reflexive thoughts offered by uh, medical educators in 2023. And I believe I will just read this quote because I kind of felt this is the resonance that should be actually circulated within this room as well. Uh, we fail as teachers by not teaching students how to understand the gaps in the current body of knowledge. We fail them when we preach certainty over curiosity, hubris over humility. Medical education also requires being aware of the biases in the way medical knowledge is created and validated. Actually, this uh, the, the epistemological uh, challenges that ChatGPT actually poses in, uh, in the professional world is relates to not just a way in which we 
are working with ChatGPT, but also how we educate the future generation who will actually more closely work with the uh, AI. So at this point, it might sound a little different from what you used to think of. I'd like to turn your perspective to this artist domain of the medical knowledge. And if I say artistic, it may assume that it's a little mis uh, mystified and dismissed, yet uh, this intuitive and artistic and some of the um, reflexive um, processes that you engage in within this whole complexity you encounter in the practice is very much necessary to for the medical professionals to become a professionals that is actually um, uh, that is actually uh, required in the ChatGPT word. Um, uh, I'm just back, go back to the Donald Sean's uh, insight once again, and he kind of suggested a reflective practice is just not a, uh, it's not about the intuitive or creative thinking of how you can do within this uh, complex situation, but being in a uh, reflective conversation with a situation where you can actually uh, spark your reframing of this complexity in a more generative way. Um, this might distinguish the uh, professions from the art, uh, uh, from the uh, artificial general intelligence as artificial general intelligence or in artificial intelligence in general have its, uh, its astonishingly fast and efficient capacity to learn and regurgitate the scientific knowledge, but yet they do not have this ability or capacity to uh, link the two phenomena that are historically or that are known to uh, be re relevant. So I'd like to showcase some of the studies that actually have been doing um, applying this type of um, discussion in medical education. Uh, I'm affiliated with the uh, gen generative learning and um, complexity lab at this College of Engineering at, at University of Georgia. And Dr. Watkins, uh, who is one of the uh, uh, the co-founder of this lab has been doing some of the work with the engineer, uh, medical ed educators to reimagine the curricula that actually help those medical professionals to link the clinical events with the um, with the complexity concepts and try to see how they can reframe those uh, complexity when they are encountered this moment of surprise. And uh, they suggest several other um, ways in which they can actually do the educations uh, in a more different way than just uh, transferring knowledge based to the by generation by generation. And some of their um, uh, strategies actually uh, pivots on this, uh, on this um, intention to really embrace complexity openly, not just eliminating and reducing complexity from the, uh, the medical curricular. Um, and one of the things that I'm doing with the uh, engineering education lab is actually thinking more about this uh, changing the medical education to be more reflexive. Uh, one thing that med, uh, engine, like uh, one thing that educators often dismiss and kind of um, overlook is how uh, overburdened this type of new initiative kind of make for those um, people who are within the system. So as a way to really ethically enact this reflective practices in education, uh, for those, especially, uh, I believe medical professionals are very frontier of those uh, product productivity trap, uh, burnt out and every sort of the um, uh, unintended consequences of this whole systemic engagement. And how can we actually ethically enact uh, reflective practice for them? That's one of the questions that medical educators should uh, provide an answer to. And 
what I've kind of found from my dissertation study and some of the study that I've done with my um, in collaboration of engineering education lab is that uh, students actually are very responsive to this um, to this qualitative different human machine uh, interaction when they are actually exposed to that uh, situation with an inquiry. If we kind of put up this uh, whole condition where they can openly ask those questions without being judged or without being very um, tested about the whether this is accurate or not, it actually opens up this discourse and dialogue so for them to be engaged and more inquisitive about this um, experience that they might have in their practices as well. So uh, these are like some of the points that I kind of hope you to uh, have with as a takeaway from this um, this um, conversation I brought. Um, we are actually doing some of the uh, reimagining um, medical medical education practices or engineering education practices uh, in hopes to really uh, let the medical professionals or professionals to actually trace and map the interdependency emerging and submerging within this whole AI system. Uh, artificial intelligence, um, not just represented by, not limited to the ChatGPT, but all of other um, uh, artificial intelligence systems are actually like signals this whole systemic differences uh, that will actually engage uh, not just the professional world, but the world of itself. Then what we can do as a medical educators or educators in general is actually provide some of the pedagogical affordances that can help them trace and map and understand this interdependencies emerging or submerging out of this whole new um, ecosystem. Another thing that we can consider is actually when we are trying to think of uh, making people more being reflexive and reflective about their practices, uh, we got to actually have a, a little bit of reflexive moment of what we're teaching to our future generations, what we are actually uh, transferring um, uh, to the future generation of these uh, professionals. Uh, if our um, ed education system is stands up on the uh, technical rationality that only um, perpetuates this idea of efficiency, uh, optimization, and all that, it would really... Um, situate human learners in a very difficult situation when the artificial intelligence is uh, thought to be more um, surpassing their uh, capacity to regurgitate those scientific um, knowledge. So rather than reducing um, and eliminating complexity in the curriculum, uh, medical educators need to be think about how to embrace co complex more openly and how can we actually uh, generate some of the conditions where um, we can help and nudge those people to think right way uh, rather than just uh, espousing the value of the getting right answers. However, the, this does, should not be translated to be overburdening the um, learners uh, as learners within the system are already of, at the frontier of this uh, unintended systemic engagement with such as like uh, burnout, being pushed out because of the not feeling not so productive at, um, and so forth. So uh, as educators, it's really important for us to consider some of the systemic constraints that uh, really um, can help um, uh, uh, help to provide the, uh, the enabling conditions for medical professionals to engage in the more reflective practices of their um, of their complexity. Artificial intelligence is no doubt evolving at a rapid pace. 
quite frankly, the presentation that I tried making in April was insufficient a week later. And then just yesterday, it was insufficient at the pace of days later. Uh, this user on Twitter tried to create an overall table format comparing ChatGPT, its uh, subscriber access, as well as uh, Google's Bard and Microsoft's Bing Chat. Even this one that was downloaded almost uh, five or six days ago, uh, ChatGPT 4, the plus, is now up to date. It has access to internet. It has plugins. Um, it's quite incredible in terms of its capabilities. And quite frankly, all the research that I've done is out the door. Uh, it would be really fascinating in order to see how these newer models uh, compare with just the literature that came out just three months ago. Again, ChatGPT represents a new technological leap about how humans and AIs can create a new condition for symbiosis. Um, we should view AI not as a machine meant to replace, but rather a technology meant to integrate. Individually, we're going to have to determine what level of comfortability each of us have uh, using this. And I'd encourage you in order to go online to these free resources in order to play around and kind of see the responses that each of these large language models continue to generate. Uh, because even if you don't, other people will. And especially as medical professionals, they're going to come to us and then they're going to be using this. And it's a good idea how to understand how these people got to where they were. Uh, clinically, there are implications towards preclinical, during the clinic, postclinical, hospital visits, and follow. Uh, it also has uh, implications on how the EMR is going to look even in the next few years and decade. Uh, potential for future diagnostic uh, assistance or tools, and then how we're going to have to figure out how to stay HIPAA compliant. From a medical education standpoint, we need to figure out how to detect or use AI uh, for either making sure that things aren't plagiarized or that people are following certain rules. Uh, we need to teach proper technological usage uh, during GME as part of being a physician. Uh, these can also help le uh, lecture development as well as professional learning. Uh, ChatGPT and these large language models, if you ask, it can actually generate uh, basic uh, tutoring sessions, including multiple choice questions, or show me how you reason through these different processes. Uh, they can be acquiring and testing medical knowledge and reflective learning. Health systems, and I would like to stress this the most, need formal language and teams to assess how these new technologies are going to impact us, as well as how we're going to engage with these uh, outside groups. We need guidance and as government systems, uh, such as uh, the OpenAI CEO going to Congress this last week, as well as professional societies to develop rules and regulations in order to make sure that we're guiding uh, these technological advances in a responsible manner. While we all might not become technical experts uh, learning to program or develop these algorithms, we do have the power and responsibility to be advocates as medical professionals about how to engage AI uh, in a respectful manner uh, in order to make sure that the patients are at the forefront. Now, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't take an opportunity uh, in order to share some more personal aspects of uh, things that I like, including the last lecture uh, by uh, Dr. Randy Pausch, who is a computer science professor who passed away from pancreatic cancer. I, I love this book, totally recommend it. Uh, he also has a one hour lecture online that you can watch. Um, 
he loved playing American football. And growing up, one of his coaches taught him something about head fakes. And what he realized is that when you, when you realize the impact as an educator or as a student, head fakes uh, are able to try and get people to learn secondary things or, or even more primary hidden objectives in terms of being able to get them to learn what you want. You know, it's not about having a three-point stance. It's not about throwing out the ball, but it's about how do you play along with others. It's about being a good teammate. It's about being, uh, uh, being, being part of the team towards the win. In terms of head fakes, I've always been a, a huge uh, fan of John Oliver, a wonderful British comedian who now hosts a show on HBO Max, also on YouTube, I'd recommend. Uh, he provides very hilarious but insightful commentary on things, including ChatGPT back in February. And as much as this discussion has been focused on ChatGPT on our technological advances and how it's gonna impact medicine, I hope that one of the big takeaways is that we remember that AI is ultimately a mirror and that it reflects back who we are. In a profession focused on the patient, we have to combine the Silicon Valley mantra as well as our Hippocratic oath. And as educators, we need to remember that the beauty of our work is embracing the unknown and knowing how to uh, become lifelong students and teachers. And at the end of the day, the center of humanity lies not in our technological advancements, but goes back to the basics of our relationships with each other, how we respect and treat and grow each other matters. These are a few of the references uh, used for this presentation. And again, I'd like to take an opportunity. This is probably the last time that I'll be able to speak at Northeast Georgia. I certainly hope that I get a chance to uh, come back and speak a little bit more and keep learning from you all. Uh, but I, I would like to take a moment to thank everyone in this room, people who are being able to uh, listen online. Um, I've, I've really felt a sense of family here uh, over the last three years, and all of you have contributed towards that. You know, as family, sometimes we fight, sometimes we bicker, but at the end of the day, we all hug it out and, and get the job done. And I'm very excited to see how Northeast Georgia continues to be a family for the patients of Northeast Georgia. Uh, and, and we wanna thank you for this opportunity uh, and we'll take any questions at this time. Thank you so much for that awesome talk. We, before I go to the room, we have uh, a lot of questions in the chat. So I will start with this one. How do we know if chat GPT when used for clinical reference is giving us current validated best practices? So prior to the uh, web development access, uh, the website access, there was a lot of concern for hallucinations. I will note that playing around with uh, the new version of ChatGPT4, it's actually creating references that you can go to as links. It actually reviews the website. Um, again, I think there's still optimization that is required. And certainly I think professional societies, if we're able to provide insight, uh, pulmonary critical care, uh, cardiology, nephrology, internal medicine, in order to help work on the back end, so that way it, it knows how to reference these more guideline-based uh, therapies and recommendations, I think that would be a really wonderful opportunity. So I will say, again, it's, it's changing. Whatever was what people had experienced back in February and March, it, it's drastically different, I promise. 
The next question is, is there research on the implications of AI's use on human intelligence or neurophysiology? I'm thinking of an intellectual atrophy model due to lack of mental exercise challenge secondary to technology dependence. I would say uh, for the person with that question, please make your research right away so that way I can reference it in any future presentations that I have on this topic. Any questions in the room? Yes. Let me go right here. Thank you both for this presentation. I had uh, one major question. In your references, have you guys come up across anything speaking about AI and particular specialties that are at risk with the development of AI? That's a, a wonderful question about uh, which specialties would be most impacted by AI. Uh, let me take a step back. There's a lot of research about which industries are gonna be affected in general. Quite frankly, with this being a large language model, anything that requires communication, particularly white collar jobs, traditionally in the past, it was blue collar jobs that was at risk for automation. Quite frankly, again, anything that requires text and reviewing. Um, what I would say is there have been some concerns about image-based algorithms in radiology and other more specific uh, fields, what I would counsel is that it's not there yet. And again, based on the liability uh, language that these companies are going to likely impose, they're not going to take responsibility for their algorithm making a mistake. And therefore, they're not going to allow these algorithms to just be fully on its own. I suspect that uh, it's going to be people who use artificial intelligence will be much more efficient than people who do not. Um, and so by us engaging early on in order to figure out its capabilities and kind of guide and integrate it into our practice, I think it's going to open up your time in order to do a lot more things. But I don't think that physicians or, or us as the expert level uh, professionally are, are going to be uh, thrown by the wayside, if that makes any sense. Um. I thought that was a really fascinating presentation. Um, <clears throat> actually, Mike, I had two questions. One of them was similar to um, the previous question, which is um, regarding what skills do you think in the future will be obsolete and what skills will be kind of useful for medical professionals to focus on? So that's my first question. My second question is uh, regarding using ChatGPT for research or uh, creating a personal statement. Um, is there, is there any, I don't, I don't see the ethical issues in it personally, like it's might, might be a philosophical question, but what's the difference between using like Grammarly or grammar apps and chat GPT? Thank you. Did you have any thoughts? In terms of, um, skills required for the future of, I guess, medicine or so I, I study complexity theories and I'm not in this, um, I'm not really following the idea of, um, clarifying the required skills for the future or not. Uh, I, I think the way we need to respond to the future is not really like can be reduced to that um, regard, but still there have been a lot, a lot of discussion of like which skill is, as you said, is obsolete. It becomes more obsolete. It becomes more prominent in the future of work. And of course the uh, human, the skills that requires human touch like empathetic uh, listening or emotional intelligence are some of the things that are actually discussed to be more important in the in the future. And I, I, I assume, presume that 
because of the um, human and human interaction residing within the medical um, system, it would be more, it would gain more prominence in a medical education for sure. And another aspect that I want to share with regarding the um, the ethics of um, developing this technology and all that, there have been a lot of discussion around how we can actually ethically respond to this type of um, technologically determined future. Like how can we actually generate more um, inclusive um, environment where none of others are actually like um, marginalized or excluded because they do not follow this trends or do, because they cannot uh, catch up with this um, uh, technological development and all that. Um, and some of that uh, has been discussed and obviously um, Sam Altman, the uh, CEO of AI has been discussing, has actually discussed some of the um, the necessity of the new regulations and the rules and uh, just uh, introducing this new technology into the practices because it's really unknown for even for those developers, like how well they can take over these um, positions and responsibilities. Do you have any? And then from a clinical standpoint, if I could provide some insight, um, I think it's just going to be like how we use UpToDate, how we use Google. These large language models are going to be really great at uh, comprehending or synthesizing and finding certain basics. But again, it's going to have blind spots. So you as a user, if you start being able to familiarize yourself with kind of these how do I enter in the search criteria that I'm looking for in order to get the desired output? That's a skill set that I think would be really beneficial. And there's a lot of really great examples. And, and certainly if, if you guys want, I'm, I'm actually thinking of trying to do this during my cardiology fellowship, kind of show and see how does uh, ChatGPT or other language, large language models, how do they help in my own education practice? How do I get to the desired result? Where is it making the gaps? Because again, ultimately it's the professional experts who are gonna be necessary in order to sign off on certain medical recommendations. Now, the second part of your ethical component for these, um, you know, there's a lot of issues with plagiarism. Uh, there was this uh, news, I guess, in Texas where some professor failed half of his class uh, in undergrad thinking that the answers that they had submitted for an essay were generated by ChatGPT. And when they went back and looked into it, they actually realized that ChatGPT was hallucinating. It, it didn't recognize or wasn't able in order to determine whether the, the materials were fake or not. So what I would counsel is, I think it's good to use as a reviewer, like you were saying, like Grammarly, make sure that you got your heart and your soul in your paper first. And if you wanna write it in a certain way or get help, I think it's perfectly reasonable. But I think this is the sort of conversation that we need, just like what you're asking of, how much AI needs to be in a thing in order for it to still be human? Uh, a, a quick example, peanut butter. Uh, back in the 1950s and 60s, peanut butter used to be almost 95 to 100% made out of peanuts. But after some time, these companies started cheating and they used things like Crisco in order to be fillers. And peanut butter, essentially, one company got it down to almost like 50 or 60%, if I remember off the top of my head. So the US government had to come in and say, hey, we're gonna set a standard there's got to be at least 90% of peanuts in something in order to be considered peanut butter. And I think that's something that we need to really look into, like you're saying, and, and come up with a, uh, a solution as a, a community. Um, again, thank you for the presentation. I find this whole topic very fascinating. Um, but just kind of following off of what Dr. Lim had said earlier, um, the human aspect and the emotional intelligence, I noticed when you were referencing the um, 
the research um, and they were looking at the various medical specialties and their responses, I noticed that psychiatry was notably absent. Do you think that it's because of those things, which is why it's not included or because of those specific difficulties related to psychiatry? I think, especially because you're a psychiatry resident, if I remember correctly, this is a really excellent point. I actually think that psychiatry has a lot to gain from these large language models. Um, but I, I, I cannot recall off the top of my head, I'm sure that they would have tried to make an effort in order to reach out to a psychiatrist. I'm not certain if that was, if they responded on time or if the project just had to move forward or not. But again, what I would encourage is just like the other uh, uh, individual, I think this is a great research area. I, I think there's a lot of open field for people to play in. And whether we talk about researching how do patients engage with artificial intelligence? Are they willing in order to do so? There was a, a controversial Reddit uh, analysis uh, that some people tried to say, oh, patients might be more engaging, but it wasn't actually through a medical system. It was just like an online survey. And in that survey, people said that they would be comfortable. Um, and so again, I think from a psychiatry standpoint, there's a lack of uh, understanding in the field, which means that there's a lot of opportunity for questions to be answered and, and made uh, to investigate that, that excellent idea. And um, just to add some points, I think the uh, question is pretty brilliant. Um, it's really interesting to see how these different subfields are responding to this um, complexity enacted by this uh, new development of technology. But one thing that I kind of find it very um, inspiring and um, quite hopeful is uh, when we think of this whole professional ethics and all that, um, or responsibility, we comes down to this issue of uh, how we can actually like uh, have some rules and regulations in discussing all this uh, complexity in general. But still, um, there are certain subfields that needs a little bit of a uh, fine tuning in terms of that use of usage of those technology. For instance, psychiatry, psychiatry. I think it's that's the case where we you can actually have those dual response responsibility as a user of the ChatGPT, but also as inputer, like a data inputer of that ChatGPT as well. So there should be a little bit of discussion and more fine tuning of the professional responsibility of how to use the technology as in general, but also as a psychiatrist, I believe, because that, that kind of concerns with data, privacy data, um, um, privacy issues mostly. So that, that must be one um, research, I guess, agenda for you to actually discuss more well, the more deeply, I believe. And then I'll also note outside of our uh, area, uh, there have been already multiple companies trying to, you know how when you go on a website and there's a little pop-up on the bottom right and says, hey, how can I help you today? There are already companies using large language models in order to kind of help guide people through that. And so again, I, I think there's a lot of implications that we need to get on. Uh, it's just that there's so many questions and there's so much work to be done. Dr. Kim, uh, Dr. Lim, thank you guys for this presentation. I feel like I was in a TED talk. This was excellent. <laughs> uh, you brought up hallucinating earlier. I know in some of the older chat GTP models, uh, they would often do that. For instance, I listen to history and they would say like a character doing that they were doing a biography on had died when they had. <laughs> uh, have subsequent generations of chat GTP improved on this or is this still an ongoing issue? That's an excellent question. I think that this is always going to be that uh, the monster in the closet 
that we're concerned about. Uh, and again, this is why going back to some other questions, how much do we rely on this technology uh, versus how much do we have to go back and double check and reference? Again, I think it's way too early for us to have full committed uh, confidence in this, but I expect over our lifetime of practice, it'll definitely improve where it's gonna be scary good. I think right now, when I've been playing around with it, uh, the output tends to be very formulaic and it's still able to provide good general information for general topics. It struggles when it becomes more fine detail uh, microcosms of information that's required. Um, right now, when I'm just kind of testing and playing around with it, I always open up a different reference. I always have another book uh, in order to make sure that whatever is uh, output is accurate. And I'm finding that it's hallucinating less and it's actually providing more references that you can click on and it'll take you to whatever uh, paper that it's citing or whatever reference, uh, whatever uh, guideline uh, from the professional society that it's it's using as well. So it, it's impressive, I, I would And then I will know ChatGPT4 versus BARD versus um, the Bing. Uh, I find ChatGPT to be a little bit more expansive and descriptive. The other ones tend to be a little bit more brief um, but they're all pretty good. It'll be interesting to see this arms race of artificial intelligence over the next few months. Thank you. I just have one last question before my battery dies. It says, what is your vision of how AI will be integrated into medical school and GME? And thus, how do we train current faculty to transition to this new paradigm? Yeah. Uh, that sounds like a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite funny because I, um, like three months ago after ChatGPT3 was released, um, UGA actually formed a, like a um, faculty uh, conversation around how we can actually respond to this emergence of ChatGPT in um, higher education settings and all that. And I, I think that question actually applies to every other education that is about to uh, embrace this um, tool, new tool. I believe it kind of goes back to this 1980s where the word, uh, the Microsoft word is like emerging and all that. Like how can we respond to those uh, those type of tools? Is It's kind of echoing that, um, but still ChatGPT kind of offers a very big challenge for those uh, faculties who are not very um, familiar with those um, technological development and all that. But still, uh, as I, just uh, going back to the, the point of the reflective practices and um, some of the historical data that those faculty members might have because of their like, prolonged experience in the practices, I believe there is uh, a, a certain way for us to actually generate some, uh, synergy between the experienced uh, professionals and novice professionals who can use the technology more well. And there's a sum of the symbiotic relationship between human and technology as well. So it's about how we can leverage those systemic differences and systemic changes. That's one thing. And the other one is, of course, there uh, is a little bit of an intergeneration lack of how older people, just older adults kind of respond to those technological development. But yet, if we consider this whole history of the uh, computational technologies development and its advances in in different ways, uh, some of, uh, uh, it's just not about the regulation, but some of the way for us to actually embrace this complexity is as a whole is actually considering those uh, populations as well, how they can actually embrace those technologies in their daily life, in their or professional life is one another uh, conversation, uh, no topic that we actually need to discuss in a GME as well. 
And then uh, from my perspective, uh, I think that's a really great question in terms of where is the responsibility? And I think it's all of us. All of us are dealing with this, whether you know it or not, and all of us have something in order to provide uh, insight. Uh, the younger generations are going to just fly away with this. But I think being able to balance the um, understanding the technical limitations, uh, coordinating with GME uh, in terms of uh, making sure that fact, I think you're absolutely right. Faculty need to at least have some sort of crash course or ethical discussion about its usage. Uh, I think as long as we remember that patients are the center and the core of what we do, I think that the guiding principles will be right on target. Um, but as governments lack and, and maybe slow towards that, we, we do need to have each GME department develop an ethics uh, group, develop a technology group, be able to have at least a point person in order to make sure that they understand the risks of technology and how it applies to all the different areas of GME. Uh, and then also have someone who might be qualified in order to help guide learners integrate this into their future uh, practice. Uh, and quite frankly, even some of our younger faculty might be uh, better than us and teach us things. Uh, so I, I think it's 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 very important to make sure we have a, a technological team member whose task it is in order to help guide these conversations more than ever. Thank you so much. And I'm sure everyone has a patient that they have to see. So we will end our discussion.